0: Welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Mickey Lamenti, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, we've modified our church schedule to help keep people safe. We currently offer on-site Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. with limited capacity, and we ask that you register ahead of time. Please visit www.rockpoint.org register before you join in person. That way we can save your seat. And we also live stream the 11 a.m. service on our YouTube channel. You can always find Rock Point on Facebook or visit the website for more information, including important schedule updates. And while COVID may have affected how we do church, it cannot diminish our efforts together to be the church. We look forward to connecting with you. Enjoy the podcast. One quick announcement only is that I appreciate there are those of you, not you, but others, of this service time that have started as of this week to attend first service. And so we're balancing out finally between the two services as we've begun to try to provide children's ministry now in the first service. So we're now balanced out on that. Um, We'll keep keeping you updated on protocols and how those may change in the next several weeks of time or so, and then as we come up towards Easter, um, to be aware of that. Before we dive into things today, I'm going to ask if you'd join me in prayer one more time. So Lord, we come before you. And first of all, Lord, there are those of us, whether it's been online in this week or next week, or whether it's been dropping in a box today, we have not just worshipped you with our lips, but you've taken a tangible moment to just give back a portion of what you've given to us. And tithes and in offerings. And Lord, we've given freely because you've given freely to us. And so we thank you, Lord, for the provisioning that you've made in our lives, for your love and for your grace. We ask that these monies would be used for your purposes with wisdom and integrity. We ask, Lord, that you speak to us in this time out of your word, that, Lord, you'd, you'd come against the hardness of our hearts at times and the cynicism of these seasons and that you'd speak to us, and that our, our our spirits would be enlivened by your word. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. How many of you uh, watched the uh, Super Bowl? Not as much as usual. You know, the numbers were down quite a bit. I was a little disappointed. You know? I mean, thought Mahomes would do a little bit better than what he did. And um, so, here's another question I have for you: How many of you <clears throat> know? I'm not. I'm sure not personally, but you you know or have read. Uh, the name Tom Brady. Okay, if you haven't, you're probably dead, or you didn't raise your hand, that's why. So a a large number, if not all of us. Okay, so one other thing, and I recognize that this is completely without context, and so I have a lot of grace on this. How many of you have read or know the name Doeg? Doeg. Hmm, we had one in first service, so... Oh, there's Joe. Okay, you balanced it out so both services are righteous. Okay. I'm going to come back to that in a moment, but I just want to put that name out there for you and explain later why I want you to understand this. We've been in a series entitled Deep Calling. This is drawn in part because of the fact that Christ calls us this way, but it's been, in this case, launched off out of Luke chapter 6, especially the tail end of it, where... uh, Two people are building a house, one on sand, it gets wiped out, the other one on rock and, and it stands. And in that passage it says that the man who was building on rock dug deeply. Now I've read this parable a thousand times, but when I read it for the thousandth and oneth, thousand and one time, the word that jumped out at me was dug deeply. It wasn't a casual thing. We're so focused on the rock and the sand. He dug deeply. And it was in the digging deep and then establishing on rock that something happened. And so we've entitled this Deep Calling as we attempt to dig deeper into what's taking place around us. Now, that's at the back end of the chapter 6 of Luke. And I had not intended, frankly, to go into the first portion of Luke. And then as I was reading over it again, certain things jumped out at me. And I thought, no, we've got to go there. So that's kind of where we're at here on this. So as we go into this first portion here, it reads like this. One Sabbath, Luke chapter 6 verses 1 and 2, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? They were picking, they were rubbing, and they were popping these things in their mouth. And so they had a problem with this. They had a problem not that they were doing it. They had a problem on the day that they were doing it because they were doing it on the Sabbath. And the rabbis had created a pretty elaborate system of rituals and do's and don'ts. When you don't have direct relationship with somebody, then you go by rules. And that way you feel like maybe you have achieved something. Where there's great relationship, there's not as much need for rules and there's there's a great need for them. So they'd create a lot of these things so they would um, feel good about themselves and also kind of to control the population at times. This mindset still exists in Orthodox Jewry, incidentally, today, um, to the Sabbath at least. In 1992 in Israel, there was uh, an establishment of uh, Orthodox Jews and they were in three tenement buildings and one of the tenement buildings began to catch on fire. And as the fire raged through the tenement, the, because it was the Sabbath, the people that were there turned to their rabbi to determine, was it kosher, was it legal for us to call 911? The rabbi took a half hour to go through his things and thinking and processing, and he finally came back with the answer, yes, it is okay to do that. By that time, the one tenement building had caught fire to the other two, and all three burned to the ground but they were caught with their details and with their laws. These rabbis during the time of Jesus were even more intense about the rituals and the guidelines and the rules. Ancient rabbis in that time period um, would have taught that it was illegal and to tie a knot on the Sabbath. So you can't tie a knot which is a problem if you needed to get water and tie a knot of a rope to a a pail and drop it down in the well for the water. But people got around these things because it was legitimate. It was legal because a woman needed on those days to handle her clothing to tie a knot in her girdle. So the way you got around that was the woman would tie her girdle to the pail and the other end of the girdle she would tie to the rope and now it was legal to draw the water out. This was the time period and the mindset through which Jesus on the Sabbath is walking along and in the view of the rabbis they were doing something pretty horrendous because in the view of the rabbis they were picking wheat, they were actually winnowing it they were processing it and preparing it to eat and then they ate it, all of which was illegal to do. So they were upset. They're reacting to the situation. Now, that's not what draws me and why I wanted to talk to you about this this morning. What draws me is his response, Jesus' response. In the next verse, Luke chapter 6, verses 3 and 5, he answered them when they condemned this and said, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of the Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, think of that Lord of the Sabbath statement as kind of a mic drop at that moment. But the line that draws me is this. He answers and says, have you never read? Have you never read the scriptures? They had their rituals. They had their forms. They weren't necessarily scriptural ones. They were just the the forms, and there were some good ideas behind them, but it was just the forms. For example, in this church, we used to have a ritual that was part of our process, and, and scanning quickly, I think everyone here in this room has pretty much violated it. The ritual used to be years ago in this church that men came in suit and ties, women came in long dresses. That was the ritual, it wasn't law and scripture, it was just a guideline that we had and some churches still have those guidelines. Um, there are some churches that, that have the guidelines in years past that women couldn't wear makeup or, or couldn't wear jewelry. There's nothing that dictates that, it was just part of the ritual and part of the structure. So Jesus is challenging him on this, and he's saying, have you never read? That's what catches me. I mentioned to you earlier about crusaders a couple of weeks ago, how these people went out on these crusades and they killed these people. In talking with one of my sons about this and preparing for that, as we were talking about it, I mentioned the crusaders never read the scriptures. In the 1200s, it was pre-Gutenberg Bible. They didn't have them available. They were in Latin, and they were usually held by the priests. And I, I still don't give them a pass on it, because they would have still known that the life of Christ and of the disciples, and that nobody was out killing people, okay? But they'd never read the Bible. A lot of zealots, a lot of people who crusade for a cause, even in Christianity, sometimes they just never read the Bible, ever. If you have a response to that, it's just a sideline, and you can send me a nasty email at a later time when you have time for it. These guys possibly had never read this section, but more likely they had read it, but they had not understood it. Something hadn't clarified for them. I've read the passage about the rock and the sand many times, but recently the, the term dug comes out, and I have a deeper understanding of it. As I look at this in Luke chapter 5, and I'm sitting here going, have you ever read? So we can, we can A, not read the Bible, or B, read it, but not with any degree of comprehension or understanding. This is probably the most biblically illiterate time in our country's history, where people just don't write, read, or understand the scripture. And so part of my purpose is to challenge you on that. So let's take a moment here with this, because they didn't read, but we're going to do that. We're going to dig deeper into this. We're not going to stop here at Luke chapter 6 because he's referencing something here. He says, what did David do and his companions? We have to take a look. What is that about? And so as we examine that, we realize what he's referencing is a passage in 1 Samuel. Now, 1 Samuel in this specific time period is a time period when David um, is serving the first king of Israel, a guy named Saul. Saul starts out really good, then goes bad real fast. David is a guy who has God's own heart. He writes most of the Psalms. Um, He's a musician. He's a warrior. He's he's just a great kind of guy. Some real serious failings. But he understands the heart of God. Saul increasingly is is concerned about him. He's afraid that he's going to take his position. People like him. They don't like Saul. This is going on for a period of time until finally Saul's headed up to here. And he's going to kill David. Saul's own son, Jonathan, is a good friend of David's. So Johnny says, hey, David, you got to take a run for it. So David takes off. He doesn't have anything with him, nothing. He just just closes on his back, he takes off. And this is where we find him in 1 Samuel chapter 21. He goes to Nob, to Ahimelech, the press, the priest, rather. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech, the priest, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I have sending you on. As for my men, I've told them to meet me in a certain place. So here's what happened. He's on the run. He stops at the place where the tabernacle is established, where the Ark of the Covenant and all that stuff is. He addresses the chief priest to Ahimelech. Ahimelech's a little bit thrown off because here's David. He's a high guy in the court. He should have had a retinue of people and, and, and other people with him. He looks a little disheveled, and so he's a little feared. What's, what's going on here? And David... Lies. He says, I'm on a secret mission for the king. You can't tell anybody. Okay? So, don't say anything. All right? Now it goes on. In verses three through six, now then he says, David, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. He needs something for now, and he needs some food for later. But the priest answered, David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women, that there's been some separation here. David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us, as usual, whenever I set out. The men's bodies are holy, even on missions. In other words, somehow, ceremonially, they were clean. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there, except the bread of the presence that had been removed from the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. And this is what Jesus is talking about. There would have been 12 loaves of fresh bread that were placed within the tabernacle in the presence of God. The 12 loaves represented the 12 tribes of Israel. It represented the people who were in relationship with God. It was to be baked fresh on a regular basis. It was placed there, and it was the idea that there was supposed to be a relationship between God, the breaking of bread... They had just taken the bread away and put fresh bread there. And according to the scripture, the priests were supposed to eat that bread. Nobody said that nobody else could eat it. It was just the tradition and the way it had been directed to do. And it sort of grown up that nobody else did eat it but the priests because they'd been told at least to do it. So Ahimelech is sitting here saying, look, I've got this. And, and, and it's supposed to be kind of special still. It's a little bit like a communion type thing. It's a little bit special still, even though it's not directly, it came from that place. And so at least we're going to have some basic, are you ceremonially clean on some basic levels? Yeah, okay, then here, you take that. Now what's not mentioned this, right that I'm talking to you right now about, but is in the scripture still is something else. David also says, he says, you know, I left so fast on this secret mission from the king with no food, and really nobody's following me. And I could use a weapon. Do you have anyone here? He says, you well, we just have that sword that, you know, Goliath had. We've wrapped it in a cloth and stuck it in the back. David says, oh, that, there's nothing else like that. Give me that one. That'd be great. So now he's walking out the door with food and with a weapon. Now, there's one other thing in here. And it's noted in the next verse. And it's kind of a strange thing because it's kind of just in the middle of nowhere is this 7th verse. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day detained before the Lord. In other words, he was there for some ceremonial worship process of some type. He was Doeg, the Edomite. Saul's chief shepherd. From this point on, your lives have been changed because you now know who Doeg is. He is an Edomite and the chief shepherd of King Saul. Well, what does that mean? Okay, well, an Edomite was someone who um, originally you had uh, um, uh, Jacob and Esau were two brothers. Jacob was the lesser one, but he cheats and lies to get the birthright of his older brother Esau. After that, Esau wasn't really thrilled about that. They didn't get along too great after that. Jacob becomes Israel, name change, and all of Israel's descended from that. And so this is David, Saul, all the Israelites, the people of God, and then Esau founded a group called the Edomites. So Doeg is somewhat related, but from a group that could have had some hostility issues in the past. Now he's the chief shepherd, which is kind of a security guard, not just for the flocks, but it could have had some some deeper meaning behind that, okay? Okay. So why is any of that important to the process? Well, here's the reason why. As a little bit of time goes by, a very, very short time, Saul's trying to find David and he can't find him and nobody's telling him what's going on. So he's kind of railing in the court one day and just kind of yelling just a day or two after this. And like, nobody's talking to me. You guys are all on David's side. I know you're all against me, even my own son. You know, None of you are talking to me. If nobody, nobody, what's going on? Where's he at? we got to find this guy. Don't anybody know? Nobody's speaking up. And nobody says a word except for Doeg. He speaks up. You could Americanize the name, and I've got some friends who have this name, so if you have this name, it's all right, fine, but let's Americanize his name for a minute and say his name was Doug. So everyone's staying silent, but Doug, he speaks up and he says, well, I did see him just a few days ago. He was at the tabernacle. In fact, Abimelech, the priest, gave him food and weapons. For real! For real! yeah I want them here now so he brings Abimelech and Abimelech comes along with about 80 other priests so there's 80 some priests gathered before Saul and in his court and Saul sitting here goes is this true did you give my enemy David food and weapons what is your issue and Abimelech says I didn't know anything about that he said he was on a mission I didn't he's your high king He's, he's a supporter of yours he's one of your main guys why would I not do that I didn't know Saul of course being the reasonable person he says well okay that's fine He's a nutcase. So he says, that's it. I've had it with you guys not supporting me. All these guards kill all these priests right now. All the guards hesitate. Why do they hesitate? Because they're Israelites serving God, and these are God's priests. And they're like, uh, somehow this doesn't seem right to us. Now we're caught between the king and God, and we're going to just kind of go neutral here. So is nobody going to act... Doug, steps up, kills every single one of the priests, 84 of them. He's so wired up by the event, and so thinking he's getting approval from Saul, he goes to Nob, the city of the priests. He kills every man, woman, and child, slaughters all of them. Only one guy escapes, a guy named Abiathar. He seeks out David, tells David what happened. David's devastated he realizes that his lie, his deception, has led to the death of all these people. And it devastates him. He tells Abiathar, he says, you know, I saw Doeg there. I knew he'd be trouble. And then this leads you to something else. Because if you read Psalm 52, you'll read this Psalm of David where he basically is going off on Doeg. And if you don't know any of the rest of this, you're saying, what's he so upset about Doeg and who is he? He's an Edomite who was a chief shepherd amongst Saul's people. So here's the really cool thing about this, you know? Odds are no one's ever going to ask you this week if you know who Doeg is. Actually, wouldn't that be really, really amazing if you were just sitting walking well, at a Starbucks and someone sits down next to you says, I just, you know who Doeg is? You say, I do. I just think that would be brilliant, Okay. My point in walking you through this, though, is this. I took you down this road for a specific reason. I want you to realize that there is texture to the Word of God. I want you to understand that there is context to be understood. We don't just grab a scripture, pull it out, and throw it up on the wall and say, well, I think that's going to be what the case is or so. It's important that we not only read the Bible, but that we read and dig deeply That we connect all the dots so we have a full understanding of what's taking place. I I saw a television show recently where um, uh, one matriarch of a family was struggling with the lifestyle of one member of her family and her son was trying to explain to her why it was okay and everything else. And she says, but it's against the Bible. He says, well, yeah, but mama in the Bible, you know, there's there's, there's talking about shellfish not to eat and things like that too. I've heard that misleading statement made I don't know how many times. An attempt to negate all the, the value of the Old Testament because of certain guidance. So let me quickly break this down. There were three basic codes to live by in the scripture. Those three codes were basically the civil code, the ceremonial or dietary codes, and the moral code. Now, the civil code, that was for Israel, and it died with Israel. The ceremonial or dietary codes for the most part died when the temple was torn down. Those two things are gone as far as an issue. But the moral code, that doesn't go away. Think about it for a moment. Thou shalt not lie. Oh, that's just like shellfish and like, you know, wearing a cap on your head. No, it's not. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not kill. Oh, don't get hung up on little details. The moral code doesn't change, but if you don't read the scripture for yourself, if you don't become a studier, a disciple, then you are so easily, we are so easily misled. So my primary purpose today is to encourage you to go deeper into the scripture. Now, having put that marker down there, I want to quickly take you more deeply though into what this all was about. The Sabbath. Jesus, several other places, mentions the Sabbath, this Lord of the Sabbath thing. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, if you'd know what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's a David statement, it's a David came to understand in his relationship with God. You desire grace or mercy or fellowship, not just rules and regulations or sacrifice. So he quotes David, he said, You would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Mark 2, verses 27 through 28. They said to him, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus is saying he's Lord of the Sabbath. Now, be clear. He's not saying I'm Lord of the dance. He's saying, Lord of the Sabbath. Some of you want me to break out and dance right now? Ain't gonna happen, right? Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day set aside for rest. But not just for rest. It was a day set aside to be in communion with God. It was a day that we're supposed to read scripture. It was a day that we were supposed to be in prayer. It was a day that we're supposed to spend time just being in God's presence. Now, having said all of that and walking this all the way to where we've walked to right now, Jesus is going through grain fields, His disciples begin to pick some heads of grain, rub in their hands, eat the kernels. And they said, it's unlawful. And Jesus says, don't you even know about David? But it wasn't just about David in that moment. It was what he took. He took the showbread. He took the bread that was supposed to mean fellowship with God. It was supposed to be just for priests, but nothing had been said about that. It was supposed to actually be for everyone and to represent everyone. And the word showbread wasn't like S-H-O-W. It was S-H-E-W. And it means the presence bread. It means literally the bread of faces. In other words, it was the bread that you ate being face to face with God that you broke bread and had fellowship with Him. And it was to be baked fresh every day. Our relationship with God is to be fresh every day. We're supposed to be before his face, sharing bread, breaking that, fellowshipping. And so when God himself comes in the flesh and he's walking with his disciples and they're picking pieces of grain and they're eating that in fellowship with him, that's exactly what it's about. And all The Pharisees could do is sit back and say, didn't line up with our rules. The divine moment to come and experience fellowship with God, and all they could see were their rules and their regulations. We need to read the Bible. We need to understand the importance of Sabbath and coming into fellowship with God. I want to try to tie this with you in this last moment in sharing with you an experience of mine that I had in college back in the 1900's. I just think that's funny. Uh, Nobody else seems to say that but it's true. I um, went to a college in the Midwest, and uh, I had this teacher. This professor was one of the most brilliant professors I ever had. His name was Larry Nelson. He taught history. The guy was brilliant. He was funny. He was warm. He held us captivated. He gave the most wicked tests of all time. Most people, you know, you give a, 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 a true and false test, you got a 50-50 shot, you know? But, But He would give essay tests like compare and contrast American foreign policy from 1920 to 1975. Oh, my gosh. But we loved him, and and he was just great. Every once a semester, he would gather uh, his upper-level class and invite them over to his house for pizza, and we'd watch a period movie from history. Grapes of Wrath or or some other such thing. But the primary thing was we'd have this football game. It was touch football. And we'd play it in his backyard. It was a small yard, had a fence in the back. There was a play set there, like one of those slides and swings and everything else like that. And and, um, it was so jammed and so tight with all of us playing two-hand touch that, that sometimes we were able to run around the house. The only rule was you had to be in the backyard for the touchdown. So if we could fake them out, we could run around, do something here, and then come in the backyard, sneak past them, and, and make a touchdown. Very tight containers and places and stuff. Now, I was very good in football when I was younger. Love football. Some of you notice know, sometimes if I hold them, my pinkies, go off to the side. That's because I broke both of them in football. And I just kept playing, and so I never really had them set. So they just kind of take their own life there. But I love football. It was very fast. Lions looked at me at one time, but they went with some guy named Barry Sanders, and it just, I don't understand. It's been a little bitter point for me, but... So we're playing this game, and um, we tried everything, and we weren't making it. And then um, they tossed the ball to me. We're in the backyard. They toss the ball to me. I, I, I run around the house. They run the other way. By this time, they are caught on to our mechanics. Sometimes we'd throw it over the house and try and connect on the other side and do things like that. We came up with everything. It was crazy. So I'm coming this way. They're coming at me, and I'm realizing all I'm going to do is end up at the same place where we're at over here, and it's just going to start, and then suddenly something hit me, and... And I saw the front door of the house, and lo and behold, the door, the Lord opened a door for me. And so I opened the door, and I ran through the house, leaping over a dog, a small child, past his very startled wife, and going past and out the sliding door, and into the backyard for a touchdown. It was the most glorious moment of my life. Well, there were protests by, you know, losers, and... Um, It was his house. It was his rules. He ruled my touchdown. There was anything against it in the rule book, and he said nobody had ever done it. Marks for creativity. It's a touchdown. Slight pause. New rule. <laughs> no going through the house <laughs> while playing football. It was Dr. Nelson's house. It was his house. It was his rules. He had some guidelines there to protect us, because he didn't want us hurt and doing stupid stuff. But his main purpose was to mentor us, he was to be our teacher. It was to um, have relationship with us and to mark our lives. I've never forgotten that man, and I've never forgotten that experience. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He made it for us in order to have fellowship, to break bread, to take the time out, to be holy on one day of the week, just to be with him and be at rest. And there may be some basic guidelines that were part of that, but the main purpose of it was for us to have fellowship, not to have rituals and rules and guidelines some basic ones for our safety. So when David took the showbread, there wasn't any problem with that. When Jesus is walking with his disciples and they're picking that off, there was no issue with that. The bread was to be baked fresh daily, placed in the presence of God, the bread of faces. He wants us to come face to face with him. He doesn't want to be distant. He welcomes us into his house. None of us should stand up and condemn another and say, oh, no, that's, that's not permitted in this house. How dare we do that only to have the owner come along and say, oh, well, you know what, just kind of tamp down. It's my house, and I think he can put his feet up on that chair if he wants to today. He calls us to fellowship. But if we don't read his word, If we don't meditate, if we don't dig down deeply into the things of God, how will we know? What do you know of the God who we are told himself is love? This morning, with the help of some friends, I want to open that up for you a little bit. Love is patient, and love, our God, is kind. Love is not jealous, or boastful, or proud, or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustices, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up never loses faith, and is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, and you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the ocean depths. You care for people and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever, those who have sought your face. When you're at Starbucks this next week and someone asks you about Doed. One thing for you to meditate on before you give your response. Doeg is at the tabernacle evidently for some ritual function of worship. How does someone do that? And then just days later massacre priests. David though. His spirit, I'm sure, was watching at the time, even as Jesus is walking with these disciples. And despite all of David's brilliance and his relationship with God and his understanding and the Psalms and everything else, there had to be a part of me just wanting, wow, to walk with Jesus, to have not just showbread but the raw material to have fellowship. You and I are given that something David never had. We have a grace afforded to us, the opportunity to engage God, be in the presence of His Holy Spirit. Find a day, if it can't be Sunday, find a day, set it aside, sanctify it, not with rules and rituals, but in some way that you intentionally pursue Christ, that you read his word, that you dig it deeper, that you look for all the little details and context, that you spend time in prayer and meditate so that you come into relationship. Respond to the deep calling of His Spirit. Father, we are on the back end, we believe, of this pandemic. If there's one thing we've learned in the brokenness of this time is our need for you is greater than ever before. And our sense of isolation can be overwhelming. But you never leave us nor forsake us. So Lord, as we take these words to heart today, I pray that you'd establish something deep within the heart of this congregation. And that you would be the Lord of our Sabbath. We commit these things into your hands as your people. In Jesus' name. And the church said. Good response. God bless you.